0: You know, you're saying like sometimes the service, the Unitarian service can be boring. The irony of that is the Unitarian Church is the church where you have the most potential for it to not be boring. Amen.
1: Yes. I totally yes, <laughs> oh. do.
2: I'm Reverend Peggy Clark, Senior Minister at Community Church of New York.
1: I'm Jill Novinsky, the director of religious education.
2: And we're coming to you from Community Church here in the heart of Manhattan in New York City.
1: Coming from a long line of disruption.
2: Four fires,
1: three name changes, two
2: pandemics.
1: <laughs> four times.
2: We sold five of our
1: buildings. Yeah, that part. We had a vote to oust the minister. We're in a rented church space.
2: We got sued by four
1: members. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We're inviting you to join us for a Sunday to Sunday rundown of how we do things here, hoping that you find out what that might look like for you. We don't know what we're doing here, <laughs> we are showing up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome to episode five of the Disrupt Church podcast. Today, you'll be hearing a conversation between Reverend Peggy, Jill, and Darnell White, who's the musician-in-residence at the Community Church of New York, and just an all-around talented, experienced, soulful, wonderful human being uh, who we're very lucky to have on our team. Thanks for listening. So we've been just talking—Jill and I started talking like a year ago— Although I had been writing about this even before that around like kind of the question, what are we doing? And then who are we serving, which is a question you keep asking, like where where are the people who really need us? Mm-hmm. And like well, what are we doing with our money? What are we doing with this staff? What is our mission? Like, how is our mission really alive? And is it really alive? And are we serving old models instead of a, a mission that we find worthy of our time and energy and a time mean, we're pouring ourselves out into something is, is what we're pouring ourselves out into worth it. And I think we all agree, my sense is that we all agree that the mission is worth it, but the ways we do it, sometimes less interesting. So that's why you and I have now recreated worship, but it was more than that. I mean, even just like bringing you on was part of, when I showed up here, I kind of had this, like, let, what happens if we just do everything differently? Yeah. And and then have been just doing all kinds of things, right? And bringing in Brother Zach and kind of everything. Everything just keeps- The
1: liturgical dancers was something we never had.
2: The dancers, yeah. right. Just kind of like, if, if we could, I mean, my sense was like I'm sort of set up to do things in a good. Like I've got money, I've got staff, I've got this great board, I've got a congregation that's kind of like we trust you. You know, you tell us where to go, we're 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 right behind you. So I kind of showed up with this sense of like, well, if you have all that, then then what do you do? And then called you. <laughs> found you out of nowhere. I mean, I put something on Facebook. Do you know how I found him?
1: I heard the story once and forgot.
0: I didn't well, know James up. Russian. But I
2: didn't know yeah. him either. I, I put something on Facebook and was like, I have not even a fully completed idea. I sort of have a thought and I kind of am wondering if there's anyone in, in the city of New York who could have this thought with me. Imagine and that. a few people were like, This is guy James, he knows everybody. Yes. And I talked to him and he was like, Yeah, you want Darnell White. I'm like, "Oh, okay. I don't like I not know James, that's let alone so you. Funny that's how well. I found you. Random. All this time I
0: thought like you and James were like old. Like, oh
2: my God, no. I've I thought they went him. to
0: college together. Oh, no, no, no.
2: <laughs> no, never mentioned. No idea. If I tripped over him, I wouldn't know He's who he genius. was.
0: genius. Truly
1: serendipitous.
2: But he knew. I mean, I talked to him for a while and I said, I don't even know what I want. I've got money. Maybe I want like a choir director. Maybe I want a choir. And his thing was, well, you know what? Darnell is incredibly talented and really creative and would be the thought partner that you need to figure out What's next? And then I talked to you. I don't know if you remember this. Our first conversation was on Zoom, and you were at a show somewhere. But I was you had doing a keyboard the show that I'm
0: you. literally doing now. Oh, you're kidding! That I'm in tech for right now, which is Lady Day at Emerson's. That's the oh, show it's I finally was finally coming
1: to. Be a, mm-hmm. Well, that you I'm were sitting that, in so your funny.
2: in a room, like a hotel room or something. I was in But you in had my house. a keyboard. Yep. And you kept playing, like we're talking, yeah. and you're like, but you were like putting music to the conversation. I don't know if you know you do this or that, <laughs> you were like, you're, like oh, you're, you're like, oh, boom, boom. I don't know what that means, bum, bum, bum. You were just living through this keyboard, and I was like, oh, I have to be in a room with this guy. Yes. <laughs> How do I get you to where I am? <laughs> I
1: love that. You know, that's so. It's, you bring up a point before we even hear more from your side of things from the beginning how it's all sort of unfolded. But it's interesting to hear you, Peggy, talk about what this person that sort of presented him your way said, which is that he'd be a great thought partner. Because as I was looking for an assistant, the same kind of thing, like we are kind of this 200-year-old startup in that way. And, we, and, we, and, and I experienced the same thing looking for somebody that was excited about coming in at the beginning. It's a very special thing, somebody to be excited about that, because it takes a lot of work. A lot of flexibility, a lot of patience, and stick-to-itiveness, You know what I mean? You, you, you've got to, at, which I think really does bring us back to what is it that we are about and what is it that we do. So as soon as somebody gets on board with that, that's a great anchor. If they have the character to 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 get into starting something and being a part of all the messiness that that looks like, and sort of making magic. of And I just think that you've totally, absolutely done that. So great.
0: We're working on it.
1: Yeah, right, I know, it's right, it's totally a project still unfolding, that's for sure.
0: I love all that.
2: So when you came here, you were coming from, is it a Baptist background?
0: I was, and I was coming from a pretty oppressive one.
2: Well, that's why you came here.
0: (laughs) That's why I came, yeah, Yeah, that was the, that's, and that was, it's funny because that's what I was thinking when you're saying that I, James and I had just recently had that conversation Mm -hmm. about that, so.
1: Oh, that really is serendipitous. Do you know what, what was going on in his church? No, not exactly, but yeah, it's
0: like very exclusionary, <laughs> right?
1: Right. There had been something new written in that was yeah, really yeah. took it back,
0: and so I was like, "Oh my gosh!" Mm-hmm. Like this is you know, and I think that you know, it's funny because that is ultimately the point for me. I think that worship, belief in a higher power, you know, um, God, the universe, you know, whatever we call it, you know, in our respective denominations, I think all people want that. I think all people want to worship and want to pray and want to be in religious ceremony and want to engage in ritual and community and all those things. Clearly, the the church, you know, and the Baptist is not the only denomination, but it has not been um, a safe space to be able to worship and pray and do all the things that we want to do in terms of belief in a higher power, you know, while you're sort of being oppressed. And I think that a lot of people in my community seek that. But they don't know where it is, you know what I mean they well don't. that's
2: what you keep telling you keep saying us like what what you're doing here, what we're doing here is what everyone wants, yeah, but, but they, they don't know, they don't yeah. know where we are
0: <laughs> and so they separate themselves from any sort of like attachment to any sort of ritual or anything like that. They just forget about it. I did for. A number of years because you're living life and you know, and so I think that's just like I see that so much, you know, working in theater as much as I do, and cabaret is the world I, you know, also exist in a lot, and so coming here, and again, I'm very much like it's you and I yeah. is like that's like right. the stars you got line. it, right. <laughs> you know, because I'm like okay, yeah. like there it is, because nothing's better than having a leader that you're like that's the best thing ever, you know. It really is, and so I think the idea for me was like, wow. When I came here, I didn't know anything about Unitarian. When I came here, I know. When she
1: contacted you, what was the first thing you did? To, did you do some investment? You know, did you go to the website?
0: And I didn't really, because I trust James. That should give you an indication of who James is. Like he said it, and I was like, okay, whatever. You know, James is like, you know, so.
2: Well, I think his thing was you're you're going to be safe here.
0: Yeah, yeah. He, you know, it was almost him doing it for That's me. That's such a huge... But it was James And for
2: him, that was just about Unitarian Universalism because James and I don't know each other, but he understood it as like liberal religion and welcoming, so right. he, he yeah. knew you'd be safe. Then I guess you had told him that they were writing into the bylaws.
0: Yeah, we like, would had that. Yeah, I think here. I made a post about it. Either.
2: And when you came here though, I mean, I'm, it's like two years ago now, yeah. the music here was pretty traditional. It was kind of organ. It was very
0: oh, oh really oh, classically oh, trained yeah, choir. Yeah. yeah,
2: it was very traditional. It's interesting, actually, if I think about it right now, how different the music is now than it, than, than just two years ago.
0: Yeah, it was gothic. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's, yeah. The, yeah.
0: that's the first thing I thought. Actually, yeah. was gothic. Yeah. That's the word that came yeah. to me. Was just yeah. gothic. Kind of heavier and more formal. Yeah, it's like I just think that that's kind of the. I think I was saying. I think. When you come into a religious experience, it's about being moved in some way, you know what I mean? It's about, and that's what, people still want to feel that. People say, oh, why do gay people go to these churches where they're like treated a certain way or where they're like, it's because they, that music and that, the ritual of it still moves them and and they want that, but there's obviously that part that's like, you know.
2: So how did you move us from that to where we are? Because our music now feels much more alive Right. It feels exciting. People want more and more music. I mean, now we've changed the liturgy. There isn't necessarily more music, but we've, there are fewer words. So it feels like there's, the time is spent more with music than with words. And the, word, and the singing isn't performative in the same way. It's, it's inclusive.
1: It feels like such a, an
0: invitation. Well, how, about, how did you get us
2: there? I'm sorry.
0: It's you. <laughs> it's, well. about, it's about allowance. That's what it's about. Mm. It's, about it's about understanding. You know, um, in most churches around the world, or well, around the country, I guess, but in most churches, particularly in the, in the uh, Protestant denominations, you know, in the more contemporary Protestant denominations, a lot of times, you know, I get it. You know, some of the pastors of these churches are sort of, you know, some, or can be kind of, the ego is like big, (laughs) you know, um, to the point of megalomania in some cases, (laughs) but, and so a lot of them don't want to accept, because the main thing about any religious experience is the message, you know, we're trying to reach you with this message, but how do we get you in here, how do we draw you in to get this message to you, and so a lot of those denominations you'll find sometimes the pastors can tend to be and they want to sort of suppress what the music is, you know, and not truly acknowledge, well, this is what's going to get the people to hear the message. This is about the community of the singing and all of that sort of spectacle so that we can reach them with this message of welcome, of love, of whatever it is, you know. And so you have to be allowed to do that, you know. You have to be, you have to have someone, you know, in front of you that recognizes, that sees you and says, oh.
2: So part of... What builds this really effective experience is collaboration, and kind of one of the things I would say about this place is I feel like people really know what, where their lane is, yes. and they do a really good yeah. job of saying like that's that's not mm-hmm. mine, like I'll mm-hmm. help you if you want, but you're, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm not overstepping here, so we have kind of built that, so part of what I'm hearing you say is that collaborative spirit, like we're gonna work together, yes. we're a team, we're a community, yep. And no one person can want to be at the top of it because it's just not about that. It's not about, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not about you. Like, it's really about what all of us in the room are creating.
1: It's a very big deal to have somebody at the helm, if I can concur with what I believe you're saying, saying that they are ready to make major changes, they're willing to accept that they don't exactly know what that looks like, and they are totally open to stepping out of the way and trusting the expertise of the people they've chosen to lead in their lane. That's huge.
2: Well, and, and the other side is true, which is you have to have people who are worthy of the trust.
1: Well, right, 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 I right. two right. to, way for sure. Which,
2: right. But there's something bigger here for me, which is that your place here, I mean, if we think, I'm thinking about like other people who are listening to the podcast and I'm thinking, okay, so they don't have Darnell White. but. But they have people who like to sing, right? I think if we, how do I say this? Like if we break it down, if we get rid of all the things we think we're supposed to do in that hour of worship, and we just talk about what moves us, what do we love, where do we really find the spirit, where is spirit most alive for us, and then we like sink into it or expand it but it feels like one of the things we've done, because you were so willing to do it, is to just stretch it out, expand it, to say, like, you invited these new people into the choir, and people who didn't know Unitarian Universalism, who may or may not be classically trained, but who are phenomenally talented, but more than that, who have spirit. That kind of, Mm -hmm. it feels like- it's real. It's real, it's so real. All the people that you've brought in, it's not a job. This is like, they understand themselves to be embodying church. And then we use the music and just stretch it out. We stretch out the things that really work. We don't fill the space just to fill it. We're not performing anything. We're living something. I guess that's what it is, is this choir feels like it's living something.
0: They do. And I think ultimately my goal as we go forward is to pull that in. That's the ultimate, you know what I mean? Because that's exactly like, I'll be honest with you. I like the staff, everything. Like I love. <laughs> like, this is like this is the space I know I'll be in the longest. Yeah. But yeah, I think that um, for me, like you said, I, I started in classical music. You know, the first thing I played was Bollock.
2: And you know? went to Juilliard,
0: right? I did. You know, I was a vocal student at Juilliard, and then.
2: You, you did know. vocals in Juilliard. Yeah, I was. Where a, did you learn I, how to play piano? I was gonna be an opera singer. No way. I... <laughs> well, you could. I could see that. But. Yeah. But you're right. <laughs>
0: Yes, I knew many scores by the time I was 16. But I
2: you're a brilliant music. pianist. Where did you learn that?
0: Well, I studied that. I, um, I got lucky, really. You know, like all kids that play, you sort of have a sense of it, and you plunk out melodies and play and things like that. But it was just my, uh, it was just the gift of the universe that at my church, our musician who played for St. Paul on 60th mm-hmm. and uh, played for a Jewish synagogue that was in Harlem, at the time, was our musician, and saw, recognized, you know, and when I was about six, he started giving me lessons, oh, you pretty know, pretty yeah. pretty and uh, he was Columbia's, you know, um, a professor there, you know, and so that's why the first thing I started with was classical music, but the Baptist church is very different than, and it was more about the hymns, mm-hmm. and sort of what they would call traditional music now, mm-hmm. so even stylistically, you know, I remember yearning for the first time, like you go and see a Pentecostal church and hear the music, you're like, oh, the Drums and Let's all that—that's you know? like, what it is, you know. Um, but he was my teacher, and so he—I studied with him for years. And then when I got to junior high school, that's when I started studying other because I had a teacher there his name was Phil Bingham, who was a huge jazz person, and he was uh, part of uh, Jazzmobile and all that that went all over the country. And and he started—he finally acquiesced and started because he wouldn't before that because he you know, I was studying classical music. And he finally was like, okay, I'll, you know, and he showed it, and then he, he taught me, you know. And that's what really opened me up to all of the music, you know. And then, um, you know, and then my generation was just, it was music, you know. I mean, it was, oh, yeah, I don't know what I would do now, you know, because we had vinyl and records, and I, my first album that I bought was. Thriller, Michael Jackson. Oh, yeah. You know, this is the first album. And then I bought everything before and asked. Oh. Well, because
2: the breath of your, you, you seem to know everything. I, well, that's hearing not Hearing that you learned <laughs> <laughs> But it does, doesn't it, it feels like, you know, like you're doing like the classical and you're doing the church thing and then you're doing the jazz thing. But then I throw something random at you, just some contemporary or some folk thing and you're like, sure, bang, bang, bang. And then it's, like you just have it.
0: Well, I, well that really is about, it's so funny because the musicians we all joke around in terms of the mind of a musician or someone that plays it's like oh I can do that you know or that, or, that, or that, and we all you know there's different skill sets and everybody can't do everything but I will say I am grateful that I studied and that I loved love and have always loved a wide breadth of music you know I remember hearing Radiohead for the first time, hearing the song Creep, which is my favorite song of all time. Is it really? Yeah, that's my favorite song. And I was like, What is that? My friend's like, Oh, it's Radiohead, you yeah. know. And uh I was like, Oh, that's a great song So I went back that song, then I started listening to um uh, Depeche Mode and then it was Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and all of those groups and R E M and lyrical content and the analogies and all of that. So that was like you know that There's just portals, you know, and I'm glad I've never been like the best jazz, the best best but I understand all of the languages to some degree, you know, in the way that we do understand languages, you know. And that's been a help and a gift and a blessing for me. And it helps me here to take some of the traditional, even some of the traditional music that we do here and arrange it in such a way that gives it more life, you know. And it doesn't, you know, everything doesn't have to be just like melodic lines and, you know, because, again, I think any sort of ritual experience, wherever it is in the world, I mean, when the Hutus, you know, they're dancing in Africa, you know, or in India, when you hear them playing the tabla, you know, and they're doing like, the, you know, it's all about some sort of, you know, engagement and spiritual, like, you know, some sort of heart movement. And that's what I seek whenever I'm playing music. That's what I seek. I seek that, you know, and so that's what I wanna like. And I feel like I'm beginning to sort of bring that into our space.
1: You are,
2: totally. I feel like Unitarian Universalism can be deadly boring. Our worship services can really be awful. When I was new as a UU, I was so moved by the theology of it and the we had this unison affirmation that was like love is the doctrine of this fellowship the quest for truth is it's <coughs> something right and service I... is its prayer and i'm like yes me too like <laughs> service is my prayer right the quest for truth is, is our sacrament like yes that's where we find god like we search we serve we but as much as i would like literally sob at the unison affirmation in that church the reality of most UU services is just not that emotional. It's not that moving. Whereas when you can move out of the way of it and let, like move into, for me, the music moves us out of our brains and into our hearts and we just start moving with it. It starts, and that for me is the dancers too, is this like, this is about our whole body. This is about, who we are and how we live and how we breathe and it's not we don't have to formulate anything. We don't have to think it through or explain it. We just can feel it.
0: You know, I mean music, they use it in therapy, you know, they use it in so many aspects of life that we utilize it, you know. I use it to get through the day when I'm walking up these streets to go from one studio to the next. And I think it's so ironic that you know you're saying like sometimes the service the unitarian service can be boring. The irony of that is the unitarian church is the church where you have the most potential for it to not be boring. Amen. Yes. I totally <laughs> Oh, do. I agree so much
1: with that. Yeah. And I can't tell you how shocked I was coming to unitarian universalism unchurched, but my very first church experience was in an AME church in Seattle. So it was a starkly different experience here. But when I came into this role as director was the first time I was actively having to look for or wanting to look for music and hymns. We're in a pandemic now and we're online. So I'm trying to look for all kinds of content. Oh my God. Till today. Like it's shocking to me. Every time I crack open a YouTube you hymn, it feels deadly. like I've entered a funeral service. Yeah, I'm deadly. so sorry to everyone putting content out there, I but I'm telling you it's dead. It feels it, yeah. to me... I mean, like having a great physical experience and no kind of splash at the end, you know, like, come on, what? I (laughs) I thought I was, you know, there's just a few really major culture shifters that exist. Music, how the education happens, those components, I mean, what you described about your early life foray into music had everything to do with a couple of educators seeing that, even though all kids kind of may gravitate toward a keyboard. There are some kids that you can see some, But you know, and you grab it and you nurture it and you crack that window open. And when you describe like playing different genres of music in new ways, I feel like to be able to hear a piece of music you're familiar with in a different way feels like you also are getting an opportunity to have a fresh perspective. And I feel like at our church, we also celebrate these some others might call it, you know, well, it's just an individual story. It's a, but, but that's church, though. If we allow ourselves to be energized by what magic even happened for one congregant, then that fuels us forward to say this is engaging, it's transformative, and it's for everyone. So I, I totally agree with you. I think the tenets of Unitarian Universalism allow for the maximum potential in a transformative experience.
0: Yeah, I definitely. I think what you're allowed to bring into the space musically yeah. can be so much, you know, there's um, the denomination has that potential, mm. but it's really based on what. you the room. Yeah.
1: But also, I think it also, right, doesn't it also? I think that's for sure true. And the congregation didn't know to let something happen until we put it forward and tried it out. So there's boldness there to say, I know this is completely different. This is completely something new.
0: I think people yeah. go with you, and I'm going to be as humble as I can when I say mm-hmm. this. <laughs> but I think that people go with you when they're truly able to see your heart and your intentions. You know, in life we all make mistakes. In life, it just in general, you know, we do things wrong, we hurt people sometimes, you don't mean to, you know, all of those sorts of things. But I think when we try to live a life where the intention is love, the intention is good, you know, lead with love, you know, put love at the front of everything. Um, one of the one of your best sermons ever, mm-hmm. you know, one, the one that sticks, you know, I think. And I think people see that when I'm doing the music, you know or if I'm seeing, or if I'm... I think people see that, you know, I think no matter what they may, you know, I think there's an expression of love and care, you know. I care about the people in the space in a real way, you know.
2: Well, there's an honesty. When you can be completely honest, when you're completely yourself, when you can expose yourself, yes. then absolutely. other people feel like they yeah. can meet you there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. When somebody is a little shut down, or formal, or... Um, just distant then everyone else stays distant and we end up in these really sort of hyper individualized spaces when we can just expose ourselves this is really who i am then we can meet each other in community in a much more real way that's probably the the foundation of transformation when you can really bring yourself and someone else can bring themselves. And when you have a whole congregation of people who are bringing themselves into the space, then everything is possible. Then you can really put love at the center of everything. In fact, you already have.
1: Yeah, I think you and I have talked, Arnel, so many times about being, celebrating what can unfold in a moment that you would never expect and being able to sort of lean in to the not knowing and trust and have faith in what you're bringing, you know, to allow that to unfold and then to celebrate it, which is huge.
2: What do we need? Who are we? Who are we becoming? What do people in the room need right now? And then how do we move toward that? For me, if we're talking about really recreating religious community. That's the question, right? What do we need, not what do I want. There's a way in which we can live into a vision of community where we're not hyper-individual and we can really be concerned about the people next to us and what they need and how we together create a shared vision for the world. I think that's really the key for what we're talking about. So I'm I'm aware of the time. We're going to have to wrap up our, really? our little session here.
1: We're not even... I... <laughs> <laughs> What's going on?
0: What's going on? We need <laughs> two sessions with you, that's I for sure. Know.
2: I'll
0: do another session.
2: Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Disrupt Church Podcast, hosted by Reverend Peggy Clark and Jill Novinsky, and produced by me, Starling Carter, for the Community Church of New York. To find out more about Community Church, visit us online at ccny.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Or, better yet, send it to a friend. See you next time!